welcome to Full Time Vine, the show that used to do music and football together, but no longer does, because no one watches it. (laughs) (laughs) That was good, considering it was a different intro, I like the fact that you kind of let it die and then came back in. I'll tell you what, let me have a bash, I reckon I could do it even better. Play the song again, play it again, play it again. Welcome to Full Time Vibe, the show that used to mix the worlds of football and together. Oh, that was good, except I said mix the worlds of football and together. Exactly, you yeah. cheated, you missed out a key word then. No. I the, think I should get like a 5 out of 10 for that, must try harder I think, or something. I think that's, it's a solid go, but it's you just can't, you can't emulate the magic. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um... So yeah, welcome to Full Time Vibe. So Ryan, we've made the decision to kind of, how would you put it? I would say binning off uh, football, being bluntly. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons we started it was because me and Ryan used to come in, we'd sit down on the sofa Ooh. in his gaff, and we'd we'd have a little chat about the weekend, we'd chat a bit about music, a bit about football, and we liked that natural element, and we thought it'd be cool to put that out there. But I think one, <laughs> we've, we've realised that... Um, that you know, music is something that obviously we really connect with and we, we feel that we're able to to bring more to that element of it and hopefully get more of a reaction. So Well so. the thing the thing for me has been recently we've had like a really nice positive response, mm. particularly on the music side. Yes. And I looked at that and I thought, let's continue that mm-hmm. um and just give people more of what they like yeah definitely man and it means a lot it's a lot of who we are isn't it you know mm. without a doubt you know not that football isn't but uh but yeah with that in mind right i mean what would you in terms of your week in music you know, anything you've been listening to right okay um it's never a good start it sounds <laughs> like you're about to absolutely destroy someone no um i've been going down the road of nostalgia oh yes oh yes and it's linked to our guest this week, oh, yeah. I've been oh. listening to a lot of uh, Roadstar and had some Heaven's Basement as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised because obviously with that, with uh, our interview today, which is which is with, with Richie from uh, Roadstar Heaven's Basement, the front man, it's yeah. we've definitely. I think for both of us, um, we've been we've been going through them old records and, and vibing off of them, haven't we? Mm. Yeah, I mean, what's what's your favourite song? Go on, favourite favourite song, Road to oh. Basement, Rich Era. Hmm. For me, it's uh, there's like a a tie between the song Road Star because I have such um, nostalgia for it, and particularly with the music video because mm. I remember watching that music video and I thought, damn, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they had like a helicopter in it flying around, and it's just, it's just awesome. Like particularly when you're like eight years old, yeah, you man. see these guys, and you think these are proper musicians. Mm. Um, uh, it's between that and Executioner's Day. Yeah, I know. I remember you saying that was a, mm. a killer. Song it, that was a big one because um, that was like the second song that I heard of them when they came back. As Heaven's Basement. Yeah. Um, and again, it's linked to video because I saw that, uh, you know, that black and white recording session yeah, that they yeah, did. Yeah. And they, they were just killing it in that session. And, and yeah, that that is, I, I can't pick one over the other. Yeah, my, mine would be, um, 
I mean, I'm going to split into sort of he- Heaven's Basement and Roadstar. So for Roadstar, yeah. it was um, it was Steam. Um, yeah. Close contender would probably be Misplaced Paradise, that acoustic one, mm. uh, which is a little bit corny. But obviously, at that point, I I just you know you I, like again for the nostalgia. I just really I just digged it when I was that age. Um, one one that I want to throw in as an honourable mention. Uh, last survivor. Yeah, man, I'm surprised you didn't say that when you was going through your two favorites. I knew you dig that time. Because great fucking guitar. Set. Well, it has a. For me, I had quite a tough kind of school life, mm. and here in Last Survivor, it was kind of like, yes, I am the Last Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it had a bit of a kind of like, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, gonna nail it, this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I like that. that's what music's about. Mm. About that. So I will come. Out, I mean, we said it to Richie earlier, but I like Steam because of at that age I was dreaming about sort of bands that I wanted to be in, starting to write myself, and Steam was very much what I was into. You know. Mm. Bit sleazy, bit bluesy, bit vintage, and the idea that you just walk onto a stage, fuck everything up, and then walk off. Mm. I think that song. Same with "Tear Your Heart Out." Yes, that should be my one-off for, for Heaven's Basement. Same again. I love tunes where you can rock up, just absolutely slay everyone, and then piss off. I mm. think I think them two them two songs encapsulate the energy of it. Um, but obviously, we'll we'll hear more of that with our special guest Richie in a bit. Yes, uh, you've been listening to anything else? Um. I've just recently listened to that Greta Van Fleet one. Yeah, that we listened yeah. to literally a couple of hours ago. Yeah, it's, it's the Age of Machine, I think. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. Um, my biggest problem at the moment. I mean, I'm obviously going to go back and listen to it more, but it doesn't feel like a single song. It feels like something that belongs on the album, but you know, it's not. It's not something that you would instantly think. You know, it's a catchy single. Yeah, whereas my, we both digged uh, My Way Soon, didn't yes, we? Yes, I know, really like that song. Yeah, me too, man. Mm. I think I like that because I felt like it was them coming out and saying, this is who we are. Yeah. We're sick of being related to different bands, mm. you know, and, and this is our sound. And for me, I think that that, that they're the sort of songs they should be utilising as singles because mm. even though the six-minute and seven-minute songs encapsulate the, the epicness and the quality of the band, these these are album songs. You know, whereas I yeah. feel that that directors are telling you know business business guys execs or whatever are telling them to put these seven minute out. For me, you're only encouraging the parody. Then mm. you're only encouraging the fact they're trying to link to this vintage rock. Whereas if you stick to that dynamic, put songs out there, energetic, you know, have this that attitude to it that my way soon does that it's us against the world. You know, we don't care what yeah. you think. Um, whereas my worry with uh, Age of Machine is that it only reinforces that a little bit I don't, I mean, I don't the album's called The Battle at Garden Gates the Garden Gates as yeah. well Gardens Gates sounds for me it sounds like something out of World of Warcraft yeah it's like the fucking, they called that first album Anthem of the Peaceful Army didn't they and I just yeah. felt like it was it like they were inadvertently trying to be cool and 70s, but by doing it and trying too hard, you then weren't cool and 70s, you know. Mm. The whole point of it is it's meant to be a natural thing and that is evoked if you are naturally that sort of that sort of band, you know. I think if you force it, people can sense that. Yeah. I think having said that, though, that new single, it doesn't sound Led Zeppelin-y, which many people have complained about, obviously, yeah. in the past. Uh- um, so I, I think that they are certainly moving away from that Led Zeppelin-y thing. From a do. mixed standpoint as well. I, I, like, I think it's mixed really well. So it gives it, it's, 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 a lot of the mix has been criticised by some people. But I really? Feel, yeah. I think they, they, they feel that it's too... I mean, you, lo- you like this kind of mixing, but they feel it's too sort of... Um, 
rough. ambient and rough and, and organic. You know, I like that, it. I think that's key because mm. I think it allows them to have their own character and their own energy. You know, yeah. because if you really overproduce it, it's not going to be it's not going to be them either. Mm. Um, I've, I've checked out the new Maiden live album. Yes. Um, what do you reckon? Um, I mean, I, to be honest, since since we did that kind of off in one of the first episodes, that discussion around sort of our favorite bands, you know, mm. I, I've been listening to a lot of Maiden Man. Um, so I so I checked it out, very sort of positive and and accepting for what it is. And do you know what? I I enjoyed it. My only problem is is and it, it might just be more of a, a criticism of live albums. It's because of how much and it's a positive. I'm going to try and put positive on it because <laughs> of how much. Because I don't want to diss Maiden Man. The, the, let, Here we let go. They're my boys, but <laughs> I think because of how much energy, maybe at his age as well, Bruce brings to a live show. The band bring to a live show when he's running about, you know, like a fucking Jack Russell dressed in some some weird gear that he's just changed into around the yeah. back. Um, obviously, I was listening to Aces High, and it was very much sort of like it was very hard to pick out the words, you know, and it felt like he was kind of just, you know, there's a parody that went round when Motley Crue reunited, which was Vince Neil going. <laughs> Yes. And you, people were putting subtitles for it of what it could sound like taking the piss. And it was a little bit like this with Brucey. But like I say, I'm not knocking them. I, I think, think that's just live albums in general, maybe, and the energy. Yeah, I think I think the problem is is that when it's audio only, you're missing a lot of the Iron Maiden live package. Yeah. Um, it's very well they do put, a lot, yeah. don't they? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I... I I, I still enjoyed it for what it was, you know what I mean? It's, I've been listening to Inglorious's new tune as well. Um, mm-hmm. oh, I can't what it's called now. It's got, I think it's called, it's, it's, you re- this is a new thing on the show that I'm enjoying where I sing songs and, and they sound exactly yes, like what's, the original. What's, what's Inglourious's this week's new? Aaron's sing-along? It's Inglourious's <laughs> news then. It's a red-haired woman got a nasty <laughs> reputation. Which is, which is exactly how it sounds. And yeah. it's fucking, do you know what? It's a killer chorus. This is an example of a good first single to release. Mm. The guy who's mixed it is a guy called um, Ramesh Ranganathan, and he's done a couple of bands that we've gigged with around the circuit, and the records sound fucking great. Mm. It's For me, this is how a modern classic rock record should sound. It sounds okay. class. Great solo by Danny Dela Cruz. He's a sick, sick little guitarist, and it's a solid, solid rock single. You know what I mean? And and I've had the chorus stuck in my head for a, for a, for a while now, which is a good compliment. You, you know me, man. I don't. Mm. I, I you have about ten seconds for me. Otherwise, I just go back to <laughs> listening to Jeffro Tool. You know, so it's I'm pretty. It takes a lot to impress me, and uh, I, I, I'm digging it, man. I'm looking forward to the album. Mm. It should be all right. That's fair enough. Uh, moving on to our main feature for this week. Yeah, uh, we are looking um, at. Underrated and some lost bands yeah. from back in the day. Uh, obviously, we mentioned Roadstar and Heaven's Basement, which we'll be moving on to a bit later on. Yep. So, what is Aaron's first lost or underrated band? Okay, cool. So cool. So I've gone for for a bit of an old one to begin with, mm-hmm. um, a band I was looking up to see when they were still kind of gigging towards their end of the careers. Uh, and that is the 70s Welsh rock band Budgie. Mm. Now, back in the day, um, Budgie were were noted as being one of the, the most underrated bands of that time. Yeah. You know, they were regarded as almost the Welsh Led Zeppelin. You know, it's they, a whole state. Yeah, it is, man, because they were free piece as well. Mm. You know, and I love free pieces. I love that kind of... The fact that the, you can rock up and bring so much energy 
and and sound from just from just the three of you you know so you'd have and Burke Shelley who who was the lead vocalist and also played bass um had this great sort of Geddy Lee high range um I mean I've already done my song of the week so I can't I can't impersonate it which which is a shame because I'd have I'd have, I'd have given it such respect with my rendition um but yeah I saw I saw him I think it was probably my could have been my third or fourth gig at in uh I think it was in Sutton in Ashfield. I mean, the they Club. they seem to go anywhere because I saw them in Cornwall. Yeah, yeah. When I was down living in Cornwall, and uh, my dad recommended, he was like, "You have to go to." How this old gig. were you then when you saw Budgie Man? Oh, I wouldn't have been that old. I reckon I was knocking on eleven or twelve. Like I was going to say, I, I was probably about thirteen. Mm. Um, Could have been the same tour. Yeah, and on on the way there, Dad put. Uh, this a CD in and it was Red Fan on the way there yeah, playing yeah. the song and it was like yes okay I can I can get into this and um, obviously I did. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of them live? Can you remember? Like, yeah, it was good. I mean, again, it was it goes back to that kind of rawness. Yeah, that I really like. Mm. Um, you remember who the guitarist was? Because they had um, it was they had. Simon Lee's at the time I saw him, who actually ended up teaching me guitar. Mm. Uh, it probably would have been him. Yeah, and they had Craig Goldie who used to play with Dio shortly after, mm. who was a very tall guy with long black hair. Most likely on the same yeah, tour. Yeah, so because they didn't tour much like yeah. after that time, which is a shame because I think Burke is one of the lost icons of, of 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 rock and roll. You know, he's yeah. um he's a really interesting character. You know, he'd have this really iconic look. He'd have his his, his Fender bass. You know, worn all over. He'd, he'd have you know a pair of jeans. I mean, I and and Converse. Every gig he'd wear Converse. You yes, know? and it's just a vest. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's this really cool, iconic sort of mm. rock and roll figure that's been lost. And I think the accolades from other bands is there for everyone to see. Obviously, when Metallica did Garaging, they yes. covered um, Bread Fan and Crash Course in Brain Surgery. I mean, the ultimate song for me is off an album called Bandolier, and it's Napoleon Bonaparte One and Two. Mm. Um, which I'm going to play a short segment of now. Yeah, like, I just, I, I love anything, similar to what we were saying with Roadstar and scene yeah. where, you have a bit of build up and like yeah. live you have that intro and then it builds and builds and it goes then it stops and then it goes boom 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 you know live that's fucking awesome man mm. you know and it, we didn't play that extra but then it goes into a massive solo I um, believe it or not I'm a big fan of massive solos <laughs> completely <laughs> who knows so, uh, from a lead guitarist <laughs> oh, I, I go against the grain you know I'm one of the few that like massive guitar yeah. solos you know <laughs> but yeah it's, uh, I love it I think it's I think it's a great song and, mm. and the, one of the key things with us doing this is I think we wanted to to bring these bands and and some of these tunes back to life and for hopefully igniting people to 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 whack them out, blow the dust off them, and give yeah. them a listen, man. You know, because these bands have have wrote some awesome material. And from being in a band myself, you spend a lot of time mm. dedicated to to putting albums together and and trying to tell a story. You know, and them stories shouldn't be lost. So yeah. let's let's keep the fire burning. Um, God, that was corny, wasn't it? But <laughs> but but also, also I don't regret it. Uh, Ryan, what's your first uh, your first last band, man? Right. 
Okay, uh, we're going niche. Okay. Niche is band, good. Yeah, it was kind of in, I believe, around 06, 07. Might be a bit later. I'm not sure offhand. Cool. But it was a band called The Parnamob. Cool. Name um, rings a bell. Yes, they were knocking about in Classic Rock magazine for a while. Um, they had a really killer first album. Uh, it's got a kind of retro classic rock vibe. Cool. Has a bit of a, a Zeppelin-y feel. Cool. Um, and they, yeah, they had this awesome first album. They got, you know, massive accolades for it. Did really well. And then they brought out a second album. Wasn't so well done. It was still a good album. It just, you know, um, it, it didn't hit the level that the first one did. We we spoke about this a little bit with with Rose Star. Is them second albums are massive for for up and coming bands, aren't mm. they? You know, I think if it doesn't, you know, I think the problem is is bands similar to Maiden. You know, with the first album, you end up putting all your best material on that first album. Yeah. You know, and then you you go to the second one, and you you know you, you might save a couple of songs, but there's normally a pressure to get it out quite quick, isn't there? Yes, because I think that was the problem, and we'll probably see this with a few bands. Um, they released the second album like a year, two years later, and um, you know that that's probably where the issue is. Because mm-hmm. uh, for your first album, maybe you've had about four or five years touring with this with these songs, and then you know you release that that's essentially a compilation of like your last ten years. Mm. And then your second album, you got to start it from scratch, completely new stuff, you know, start again. Mm. But uh, yeah, the song that I want to go with for the Parlor Mob is called Hard Times. But yeah, that is Hard Times. I dig that man. That it's was cool, fucking great, yeah. And it very much is what I know you like. It felt mm. raw. It felt, you know, felt organic. Yeah, you know, all the words. It's a really <laughs> raw, <laughs> organic. <laughs> but it's it's a really well balanced album. You know, they've got some acoustic stuff in there. You know, it's it's a nice. What label mix. Are they on? Or hmm? were on? What label were they on? Were they? They were on uh, Roadrunner. That's why it sounds so great, though. Mm. Obviously, Blackstone were on Roadrunner for them first few albums, and they just, I think, because they're obviously a big label, they they spend a lot of time because that is a mix. That sounds mm. great for what it's trying to be. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you hear some of the acoustic stuff, it sounds class. Like it's really well mixed. Oh, I, I dig that man. I think that's great. Um, mm. My next one's uh, the answer. Yes. Yeah, so my first ever gig was um, seeing Whitesnake. I was 10 years old, mm. uh, maybe 11, around that time anyway. And the answer was supporting. Mm. And uh, and just yeah, straight away, just digged it. You know, yeah. I, I think Cormac is key. Mm. Um, for, for me, personally, um, when I was younger, it was Roadstar and the answer. They were you, my two. I, I'm, same for me. Mm. You know, it's Particularly the answer's that. first album. Yeah. That just blew my socks off, quite frankly. Yeah, it's... there's first three songs, which I think were yeah. Never Too Late, Come Under Follow the Me, Under the Sky, yeah. Mm. And I think it was mixed so that 
it was fucking really heavy. Yeah. You know, and I think that was key because you got Cormac's soulful, you know, Robert Plant-esque voice, you mm. know, but um, the guitarists um, and the overall bands, um, that heavy energy, it gave yeah. it this real different edge, you know, because mm. anyone I mean, could... my dad, because uh, he's like a, a big muso person, you know, um, I remember when he first heard the answer. And again, he's very hard to impress these days because he's heard them all. Yeah, you know, he yeah, grew definitely. up with like Led's, going to see Led Zeppelin and all these big bands. High standard band. Yeah, and I remember he came up to my bedroom, opened the door, <laughs> and he was like, you have to listen to this band. Because, um, you know, and he was, I was like, who's, who's this? Um, and he goes, oh, it's the answer. And he, was, he, he did a cheesy look and he was like, they could be the answer. <laughs> wow, fucking yeah. hell. I bet that's why they formed the band. Just I know, so they right? got that one moment. Yeah. He was big on them. He loved that first album, and I, I equally love that album. Yeah, I, I think mm. they were killer, man. I saw them with Roadstar. Um, seen them a couple of times, actually. I saw mm. them Rock City a few times. You know, um, second album was difficult because I think they had so many... They had mm. such a good opportunity touring with DC, yeah. so they needed that album to be class, and it was it was it didn't have that same. I think it's actually quite a good album. I it like just, it. Yeah, I like it, man. I think um, it's underrated. Did you hear the the accompanying CD with it? Because it was like a deluxe. It was a live thing. album, wasn't it? The live, the I was really impressed with the live uh, CD as well. Mm. Again, it mixed amazingly yeah, for, for a, a live album. Yeah. yeah, there's another song on there called. So on the, on the second album, there's a song called Evil Man. Mm. Harmonica in it. I'm yes, fan. big fan of harmonica. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's some quality in there. I mean, I think I think the, the albums after that, I did. I just didn't feel like they had the right same promotion. Like they, yeah. they come out, and I wouldn't even know they've come out. But well, this you know. is it. I'd be like, oh, they've released that a little drop a off. Yeah. yeah, and, and that's then, a shame. Yeah, because you know? I saw them at Rambling Man about three or four years ago, and they were still class. You mm. know, I've got a fucking Cormac and that guitarist in particular. No yeah. disrespect to the rhythm section. Obviously, as a guitarist myself, I've really connected with. You know, mm. I felt that. They were a band that have, have just, you know, I bet it's hard for them, them boys, because they've got to such a height. But then again, you look on it and you think, oh, I'm, I'd, I'd have never thought I'd have had them experiences, you know, mm. and they've been able to achieve that, you know, which is amazing. I mean, know. I'm pretty envious of all of these people because yeah, I've man. got no musical talent <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> for, for my song for the answer, I'm going to choose, I'm pretty sure it's the one they ended with mm. uh, when I saw them with White Snake, and it's Preaching. Yes, I love that song. Gonna get me a religion I'm gonna join the Baptist church It's such a shame, it's such a shame, Ryan, that I've already done my musical segment <laughs> for this show. Because I'm only, Ryan says that I'm only allowed one. Um, Hang on a under threat of <laughs> under threat of death, and he doesn't actually say that. But I can see it in his eyes. I can see it in his eyes. It's in my eyes. It's in his eyes. He looks at me with the whites of his eyes, and I'm like, oh, I can only do one because it's a shame. Because my my um, my dad's actually, you know, he goes to a Baptist church. He's, oh. he's head deacon at Baptist church, you know. Um, so, you know. Cormac says he's going to get himself a religion. He's going to join a Baptist it's church. It's so know. cool. It, it's thought. fucking great, man. Mm. It's, it's a slide guitar and everything. Yeah. It's heavy live as well. So yeah, I love the slide in that song. You it's, love a bit of yeah, slide. I do. Yeah. I'm partial to slide. Right, what's your next one? <laughs> okay, uh, my next one is a band that when I say this to people, they go, who are they? But uh, again, classic rock. Um 
he uh, made me aware of them. Another free CD job? Oh, yes. Yes. That free CD has a lot man. to ask for. <laughs> yeah, Big time. Answer for, sorry. Um, yeah, you know, I used to, when Dad get the, when he'd get the magazine, I would always listen to the CD. Because, you know, they'd throw out bands that you'd never hear of. Yeah, yeah, it's the um, best way to get into new bands. Yeah, I don't it was think exciting. they do anymore, which is a shame, but they do do the track of yeah. the week. So. It was it was exciting having this compilation, and it's like I know none of these. Mm. Um, and my <laughs> next my next one mm. is uh, a band called Stone Rider. Never never heard of. Yes, it. imagine um, hmm, like a compilation of if Mick Jagger was fronting. Hmm, Maybe some somebody like uh, uh, Guns N' Roses or something like that. It's got it's got that hard rock vibe, but with like a a little bit of campness. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with a bit of camp, man. But it's it exudes coolness. Yeah, and that's particularly as a younger guy. That was something I was vibing on. I was like, this is a cool band. And again, they had a killer first album. And uh, that was kind of the last I heard <laughs> They are still going, though. I did a bit of research, no, um, which is cool. But they've, they've changed their sound a lot. Mm. Um, they've moved very much away from that and have gone more kind of experimental, a bit proggy in some areas. Oh, cool. I'll check it's it interesting. out, man. Um, what's, what's your song? Uh, my song is Juice Man. Oh, good name for a song. Oh, no. oh I love that. <laughs> Yeah, so that was Juice Man. I liked it. I got, got the Mick Jagger vibe straight yes, away. It's it's very Mick Jaggery, but as you said a moment ago, do you hear stuff like that anymore? Not really. I mean, I so when we spoke to Rizzio, we spoke a little bit about how it's kind of come back around mm. a little bit with this whole new wave of classic rock, you know. And we work a lot with them them guys who've set that who've set that up on Facebook. Um, but particularly that mid two thousands, you know, yeah, because that that uh, album with Juice Man on it came out in 07. Mm. So it's so around, around the same, same time, same yeah. era. There was this wave, you know, you know, and no discredit to other bands that obviously, including ourselves, but I feel like the level of quality was really strong back yeah. then. You know, I mean, bands, again, the mixing on that. Yeah, that's the same thing, man. You know, I feel like it was it was it was able to to put vintage classic rock and roll across, but with a powerful and heavy energy that yeah. meant that on a on a radio or you know or on a mm. you know on a record player, it comes across with this power and it yeah. carries really well. No, I dig that, man. That's good. It was, check it out. It's something that I love. Uh, you know, if you're going on a road trip, it's a road trip album. Yes. You yeah. get done for speeding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. Um, my last one uh, before we could chat about Roadstar as the as the main part of the feature is is a band called the Four Horsemen. Mm. Okay, so my mum and dad got me into into the Four Horsemen, um, and it's this sort of early nineties. Um, sleazy rock and roll resurgence that came back around, you know, very bluesy, but with a heavier edge to it and a real big attitude. Mm. Um, There's a lot of bands around that time, a couple um, nods of the hat to Junkyard, you know, were a similar sort of vein, you know, and Guns N' Roses kick-started and pioneered yeah. a lot of this, so that's 87 Appetite came out. I think this is more early 80s. Mm. Um, 
and I love the simplicity of this band, you know, and and it's not it's not like a discredit to them to give this tag, but it for me it's like the ultimate bar band in the best way. Yeah. They'd rock up, you like know, a the cool drum- bar Yeah, band. man, in the video um uh, for rocking is my business is the tune I'm going to do. The drummer's only got like a snare drum, a hi hat, you know, maybe one cymbal and then a kick, mm. you know. And I I feel like they'd rock up they'd look cooler than everyone else yeah. and then they'd smash it apart. And there's no, they're not rewriting the rule book, mm. but they just do it like there's... They the, just do it well. Yeah, the, the tagline in the chorus is rocking is my business. Ugh, business is good. And then it goes into <laughs> like a, fuck, a massive riff. See, that's, that's all I need, man. Yeah, that's just cool. It, let me use this to describe Airborne, but I'm going to use it to describe Four Horsemen. It's great music if you want to drive a lorry into the side of a bridge. Yes. And that is... Good compliment. See, I'm all riled up now. I feel like I'm gonna go and nick a lorry, fucking drive it into the greengrocer. Why have I, why have I gone all English and Cornish? It killed the coolness of it immediately. I just want to say that there was a lot of uh, hand motion there as well at the same time. Waving his hands around. I had my hands in fists, opened out, and yeah. I was just wheeling, wheeling along. <laughs> you know, but you know what I mean? That is fucking cool. Yes. Badass. Yeah, yeah. What's your last one? My last one. Okay. A lot of people know him for Wolf Mother. Ooh. Yes. Uh, Andrew Stockdale. Yep. Dude. Um, again, around that 06 era of when there was this big resurgence in uh, kind of classic rock. And Many would argue that he was kind of fronting that movement with that first album from Wolfmother. But, uh, I mean, I, when I speak about him, I mean, I rate him quite highly. Mm. I think he's a great musician. Um, and I'll, I just love his style. I love everything about him. Um, but when, when I speak about him, people go, is he still going? You know, which is unfortunate because I think he's putting out some good stuff still. And uh, in particular, I want to highlight he's he's brought out two solo albums now, and they haven't had much press. Not many people have heard it. When I mention it to people, they're like, "I don't even know it exists," which is such a shame because he's got some great songs on there. Yeah, man. And uh, one I want to highlight is uh, called "Standing on the Corner." Cool. It's a great like retro song. It feels like it's something out of the 70s but i mean that in a complimentary way um it it's it just evokes good vibes yeah which is the ultimate compliment yeah. you can give it i love it standing on the corner with you i'm just standing on the corner with you i'm just standing on the corner with thoughts start of one i'm standing that was standing on the corner. I'm making a podcast for you. I'm sitting right next to cool. you. I, I, I dig that. Mm. You know, similar to Four Horsemen, I, I love anything where um, if he rocked up, you know, with a band yeah. into a random bar and you didn't know who it was, you didn't know it was the guy in Wolf Mother, mm. you'd still feel like you were absolutely blown away and yeah. it'd blow the roof off it. I mean, it's very Jack White. That was yes. my instant I mean, I I love Jack White. Yeah, yeah so, same yeah, as Soft yeah. spot for him. Um, one thing I will say about Stockdale is uh, on YouTube still, he's done a thing called Shed Sessions. I would still say to this day it's the best thing he's ever done. And Fuck. 
barely anybody's heard it. So I would say go and listen to it now because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's there is not a weak song on it. It's great. Yeah, hundred percent. And go and listen yeah. to all these bands yeah. if anyone's yeah. listening, because because it's important. A lot of like love goes into making these records, you know. And I know people mm. gave it love at the time, but let's keep the story going, man. Yeah. Let's 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 swap them around, share the love, you know. I think that's important. And with that in mind, mm. um, so we spoke earlier with the original lead singer of Roadstar and Heaven's Basement. Yes. And for a brief time, Hurricane Party, mm. the beginnings of it before they changed the name. Uh, Mr. Richie Evans. So let's have a listen to that. Yeah. Uh, so we're here with uh, Richie Evans today, uh, best known for being in Roadstar and Heaven's Basement. Uh, thanks for coming, Rich. No uh, worries. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah. So the reason we asked Richie to come on uh, was in our main feature this week on Full Time Band. We're looking at underrated or lost bands. And mm. we both kind of, when we had the conversation, Richie, we kind of both immediately spoke about Roadstar. And, and obviously your time with the with the EP with Heaven's Basement. Uh, I mean, first time me and Ryan met actually, we were kind of chatting about our musical interests, and it was weird because it's for for me it was really cool when we both spoke and we both immediately spoke about Grand Hotel and obviously Glass Mountain, you know, and how much they were killer records that had kind of just been lost in time a little bit. Mm. Yes, they are a little bit. Yeah, it's um, I can't. I don't think I've listened to Glass Mountain or Grand Hotel myself for years. I think um, it's it's always strange. Every now and then these days, you know, maybe I'll I will hear one from a friend or family member or somebody who's who's playing it, and I do actually go, "Who's that?" And then they'll go, "It's you." And I go, "Oh yeah, God, I forgot about that." <laughs> so um, yeah, they have got a little bit uh, lost, but. Um, we still get a lot of you know messages online and um, and stuff from people who still say they they really enjoy them. So um, it's always nice to to get those messages and to, to know that it's it's still you know reaching people in some shape or form. So that's always a positive. Yeah. Um. Let's go like right back to the beginning of it all. I'll try. Give me a minute. Give me some <laughs> coffee. Do my best. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when you joined Hurricane Party in two thousand three. Uh, I know. <laughs> we, we looked back and we thought, no. Was I, I think I was about. I think I was about seven then. I think because I'm I'm young now still. So. <laughs> uh, what, what were you doing like before that moment? Like, um, how did like that whole conversation and you joining the band like come about? Um, it, of course, it does make me sound old when I when I say this, but I I was like, I was living down in Brighton. I was just kicking about singer in sort of sort of bands um wanting to be in a in a good band um and not really knowing sort of uh how to how to make that step up from sort of playing in a bar you know uh, acoustically with somebody to being in a, in a in a band you know and every sort of endeavor that i tried just you know inevitably turned into just just nothing or just you know and it just wasn't happening and um I just, the old fashioned style I just looked in the back of Kerrang! at the time. Um, and at that time, Kerrang! used to have ads for musicians in the back. Um, and I just saw rock band looking for a singer. Uh, London, contact this number, send a, you know, a, a, a demo as you did then. It's like a CD with some pictures. Um, so I did, and then got a call back from, from the manager. And he said, come up and audition. Um, and I went up and auditioned. And yeah, like lucky enough to get the gig. But um, yeah, it was all very sort of old school, 
you know, in, in that, in that style. So, um, yeah, it does bring back memories. Yeah, that kind of, that's kind of what it provoked to me when you said that. I mean, I've got a load of vintage Kerrangs sat, sat next to my bog at home, and you're looking <laughs> back at them, and I'm actually better at the crosswords in the 70s ones than the new ones. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I really like that sort of old school way of doing it. You know, it feels a lot more organic. And 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 how quickly did things kind of take off from that point then? Very very quickly. I mean, when I when I joined, um, the band was already established. You know, um, they they were. You know, I remember turning up and I saw Johnny and I saw Rob, um, and I was like, oh, these guys were cool. You know, they they had they had it going on. Um, it was just like Guns N' Roses walking down sort of Dagenham High Street towards me. And I was just like, this is this is good. But they, they'd already been on tour with Status Quo. Um, they already had like a massive bank of songs that had been written. So I think, you know, I, you know, I, I was kind of taking on more. They had more tours coming up. They'd had problems with the singer beforehand. I don't know what that, that had nothing to do with me. Um, they decided to replace him. So I was kind of taken on as a as a sort of, in a sense, like a singer for hire at first. I mean, they they just wanted someone who could go out the front, sing sing the songs that are already been written, um, and and put on a bit of a show. So for me, I mean, it was it was weird because I've always been a songwriter, um, sort of lyrically more than anything um, and vocally. But it was it was also a band that was established. They had management, they had PR, they had, you know, they had all the things that I was looking for when I was sitting in the pubs going, I want to take that step up. So for me, it was a really easy decision to just kind of go, yeah, definitely, you know, I, I'll sing somebody else's songs. That's that's fine for me, you know. Um, so I and loved it. And luckily enough, I, you know, I had quite a good connection with the boys straight away. Because um, again, they were already established, you know, there was, um, it was Johnny, Rob, Chris, and then it was Creepy, if you remember the uh, original guitarist before Sid joined the band. Uh, and they, they'd been, yeah, they'd been together for for a while. So they, they were like a bit of a gang, you know, um, and I was suddenly this new guy that had to come in and sort of front this thing that had already been created. Um, so that was quite, it was a challenge, you know, and it, and it, but it was, a, it was a welcome challenge, definitely. Mm. No, brilliant. That's that's really interesting. And when when did the change kind of come to? Did anything change when you made the decision to go from Hurricane Party to Roadstar? You know, in terms of uh, like, was there any musical changes? Was it literally just a name change at that point? That was that was one of those weird weird things. Um, it was we, we call Hurricane Party. Um, I was never a massive fan of that name, but you know, it would already been established, so fair enough. Um, but apparently in America, they have sort of when they know a hurricane's coming, they throw hurricane parties uh, and they all get together in their houses to sort of party in this hurricane. <laughs> um, so I, they kind of thought that was a cool idea. And then, um, if you remember way back, uh, Hurricane Katrina hit. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, press about it. And there was a lot of, you know, it was, it was the terrible thing that happened. Um, and it just started to feel a little bit uncomfortable, um, you know, with all the press that was surrounding it as a band to go on stage and go, we're a hurricane party. And, you know, you could almost see people in the crowd at the time kind of wincing going, oh, that's a bit insensitive. So I think there was just a sort of collective thought that maybe we need to change the name before, because at that point we were kind of, we, we'd made an impact, but we hadn't made the impact we wanted to make. And I think there was a collective sort of decision that it, if we want to take our next step up, maybe we need to think of a different name, you know, because another hurricane could hit. It could be even worse, you know, and, and we're always going to be sort of 
combat in this sort of, you know, oh, what if something terrible happens, which is a really weird thing about a, a band name. Um, so, yeah, we we decided on uh, Roadstar, which was obviously a song from the, the Hurricane Party EP. Um, just seemed to work when everyone went, yeah, let's just go for that. And we, we were kind of fairly well known for that song at the time. So, um, yeah, it was a, I mean, it was a weird transition because obviously whenever you change the name of a band, some people were, and especially back then as well, because this is before sort of Facebook and, you know, all this kind of stuff. You change your name and you put up a poster somewhere saying Roadstar, you, you know, you're going to lose, you know, a, a percentage of your audience who don't realise that that's who you are um, now that you've changed your name. So, you know, it took people a while to catch up, but eventually, luckily, they they did. And then, um, yeah, the audiences went back to, to normal. But it was... Um, yeah, it was a conscious change, but it wasn't a change, you know, musically or anything like that. We just cracked on as normal. Did you get into them when they were called uh, Hurricane Party or Roadstar? Because I was a Roadstar guy. Yeah, see, I had, because my dad was big on the classic rock thing. Like, yeah. You'd get the, you know, back in the day, they'd have the little sample CDs that would come mm. Um, And I remember there being a Hurricane Party one on there. It was that oh, killer. That killer. Film. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, I was done. I was sold then at that point. Because <laughs> like, I, I think I was about. Oh, we're gonna make you feel old. Now, I might. I might. I have, know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you? Sort of the mic cut out then. How? I might have been about eight years old. <laughs> yeah. I, if it works. We look about forty-five. I know it's not. Like, yeah. But like, I think I, I saw my so I, mine was more road star, and I saw you boys because I, I I went to, my first gig was ever was seeing White Snake. Right. Like, okay. The boys in the answer supported him. Yeah, he did the answer, and then my mum and dad took um took us to go and see that free bill that you did with Rose Hill Drive and uh, and the answer. Yeah. Um, That's and I think yeah, and I saw I saw you at Peterborough, and I had to lie to get in because it was an over 14s <laughs> gig. And I think I was fucking well, and my dad because I were a bit sheepish when I was a kid. My dad took got me to the door, and he just went right. If anyone asks you 14, and I was like oh, fucking hell. You know, uh, well, I'm you, hanging up now, boys. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to talk with you all. Thank you. Don't be like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. I was, I was more. Um, I kind of came in when you was already quite well established as as mm. roads. But I can remember that that gig, man. I mean, it was I, I was obviously coming in from a, a, a more of an answer um, angle, but I was just blown away with you guys and the energy, and um, with yourself in, in particular, Richie. Like, obviously from. At that point, I was—I'm a guitarist now, but before my balls dropped, I was a singer. <laughs> so I can remember sort of—I really enjoyed the energy of, of yourselves in the band overall. Particularly, I remember you—I think you finished the gig with Steam, um, and I think that was before Glass Mountain yeah. came. And that was a sick, such a good way to, to was listening back to it on Tuesday when I was planning for the interview, and just the energy and the way it builds, you know, um, nice. as a kind of end of a yeah. it's great, man. It was, yeah, that, that was always, I, I'm thought about that song for years, but that was always a good closer, actually. You know, even the lyric, you know, I'm learning off steam. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a nice one for me to close because it was in slightly in my lower range. So no matter what damage I'd done to my voice during the gig, I could always kind of almost sing that one. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, it was a good song. I'll have to listen to that myself after this, uh, <laughs> this little thing. I haven't heard that for years. But yeah, that was a great song. We had a really good night, Tuesday, didn't we? Because we were kind yeah. of planning it out, and then we were both reminiscing, going through uh, both albums, and then the the HB EP, and yeah, some f- fucking killer songs on there, man. I mean, take kind of the next question. I'm, I'm I play with a band called These Wicked Rivers, and we're we're kind of you know we've only just done our first album, 
and uh, and I had a look, obviously, Grand Hotel, and uh, I believe that Kevin Shirley produced that, didn't he? And yeah, that, he, he didn't produce it. He, he mixed and mastered it. No, sorry, he mastered it. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Did, did you boys kind of did you record that independently, and then it got sent to Kevin, who then kind of did the the overall well, mix? We were, we were lucky enough to live like rock stars for a minute. So we we at the time we when we did Grand Hotel, we were uh, signed to Sanctuary. So we did the album ourselves um, and produced it. Um, and then we were flown over to New York, wow. um, all the whole band um, and management. And we all went over and we mixed, uh, sorry, we mastered it uh, with Kevin in in New York. Um, oh, and you know, there were a few bits that we had a tweak while we were out there and stuff like that. But we were, yeah, we were lucky enough to sort of go into the studio and it was like, you know, Kevin Jury would tell us stories about, you know, this is where they did Nine Lives with, you know, Aerosmith and and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it was just one of those things you just look around the room and you think the amount of people that have come in here. But, you, you know, you were because it's Kevin Shirley as well you, and you're working with him, you were, you were treated like, you know, royalty. When you walked in, it was the band has arrived and whatever you wanted was brought to you and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So it was uh, that was an amazing experience. But, yeah, he um, he really brought it to life. Definitely. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, that was a that was a real honour working with him. Yeah, it's a great sounding record, man. And I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we spoke about obviously us being little sprouts. How old were you at this point, Riz? I'm not saying. <laughs> I was 16. <laughs> they won't let me in the country. No, I was. I think I was about mid 20s when we were doing um, the the Grand Hotel. I can't remember exactly when that came out, but I think I would have been about 25, 26, something like that, I think. Um, maybe a, maybe a little bit a year or two older. Um, but it was, um, yeah, I was I was in my prayer. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a nice place to be at that point in my life, I've got to be honest. Yeah, yeah. it was cool. Mm. Um, moving on to like that transition of when you guys moved from Roadstar to Heaven's Basement. Um, what things like changed for you during that period? Like, what are the positives and maybe something that you like missed from like before? Mm, yeah, was there? A... Um, no, I mean, in all honesty, the the end of that whole Broad Star episode, um, you know, behind closed doors, obviously, in you know, to the public, we released an album, and then suddenly we just we just ended, um, but. It, it wasn't the best um, at that point in sort of band history for us. Um, it become, there, there were a lot of sort of different factors that, that were happening behind the scenes that had kind of created a bit, uh, quite a toxic environment for everyone. Um, and people were sort of being misled. They were, you know, people being told things about other people and other people who were being told something about someone else and all the, the usual story that happens with, you know, with, with rock bands, you know, management get involved and start whispering in, in people's ears and want, you know, certain things to happen. Um, and it become, it become quite, quite not great, especially between us and our managers at the time. Um, and then um, I'm not going to say what it was, but something was discovered um, and Chris called a a band meeting, just just band meetings, um, and we got together uh, and had a chat and realised that a lot of this stuff had been going on behind the scenes. Um, 
and we cleared the air a lot and stuff like that. And we if we wanted to move on, we had to leave everything else behind. Um, we didn't own the name anymore. We didn't own the songs anymore. This is the kind of stuff that had been happening. So if we wanted to move on as a band, we needed to move on and leave everything that we had done before behind. Um, so it was, it was a, it weren't, you know, the, the best times at that point. Um, a lot of big decisions having to be made by people, you know, a lot of people looking inwards and kind of thinking, right, do I want to carry on down this road or do I want to do something else and, and all that kind of stuff. But we were lucky enough that after a few months, we came to the consensus that we did want to carry on as a, as a band. Um, and if it, that meant leaving, you know, the name Roadstar behind and all the songs behind, then we were willing to do that and start again. Um, and that's what we did. So we we got together. We we you know we we wrote some songs. We liked the songs that we'd written. We liked the vibe that we were giving off. Came up with a name, um, and yeah, and off we went. And it was you know it was it was weird again. It was almost like for the third time in our career we'd kind of had to start as a band again. So we would turn up to sort of shows because um, we were lucky enough that we still had a lot of the contacts that we had, you know, so PR and you know promoters and stuff like that. So they would put us on shows and we'd turn up. And people who are fans of Roadstar would go, oh my God, it, oh it's you, you know, <laughs> and, and we would we would play, and then they go, well, why are you not playing Roadstar? Why are you not playing? Why are you not playing this? So it was a bit of a weird time at the beginning, um, but I think that um, for me, sort of like the Heaven's Basement days were, you know, better for me personally, um, and I think. Um, yeah, I think I think we I, I think we personally, I mean, people might disagree with me, but I thought we took a bit of a step up into Heaven's Basement. It came took a slightly different sound. So we, you know, some people who were in the diehard sort of classic rock ACDC kind of thing maybe fell away a little bit. But um, for the most part, the people who loved us as a band stuck with us. And uh, yeah, we went on to do some some good things, I thought. Definitely. Was there like a moment where you guys made that choice to go down the road of having a bit of a heavier sound? Because like like there is there is obviously a noticeable difference. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean I don't think that we 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 sort of sat down and we were and right we need to have a heavier sound. Um, but I think that our influences came through a lot more. I I was a lot more involved in the writing of sort of lyrics um, and vocal melodies than I was because like I said that the the bank of the song Glass Hotel uh, Glass Hotel Glass Mountain and Grand Hotel had all kind of already been written really before I, I joined the band. So with Heaven's Basement, I was allowed to sort of enter the fray a little bit in sort of songwriting and putting my lyrics down. And I think my lyrics are, I'm, I'm you know, slightly, I don't know, more disturbed. So, so I think that the lyrics definitely became slightly darker simply because of that. You know, I, I like to write about what I know and what I feel. Um, so I think they became less sort of, let's go out and party and more sort of introspective, I think. Um, and I think definitely, I mean, Sid wasn't in Roadstar that long in the, in the long run of things. He kind of joined, um, I think, I think he was only in the band for maybe like about six months, even not, you might correct me on that, but even that before the, the band ended. So I think his influence, I think a little bit as well, you know, he was, a big Papa Roach fan. He was a big, you know, sort of Buck Cherry fan and, and all this kind of stuff. So I think he brought in riffs that were a lot that way and less sort of the ACDC um, sort of sort of vibe. So I think it was just one of those collective writing things, I think, where um, 
we we just allowed our own sort of internal in, um, inspirations to come out, and I think it just brought out a, a slightly heavier sound. But it definitely wasn't intended or you know thought about or or planned or anything like that. I think the biggest word that I kind of think is I think that there was a, there was more maturity around that sort of heaven's basement identity and sound. It felt like it kind of like probably from your influence, Richie, in terms of the writing and from um, and from the musical elements. It definitely felt like there was that switch. I mean, I'd, I'd love to take that compliment and say, yes, definitely. It was all about me. And that's what made the difference. But I, I can say hand on heart that in a lot of bands say this, um, but the writing was collective. Um, in Heaven's Basement, massively. Um, and we didn't let anything through the gate unless we all agreed that it was good enough to get to get through. Um, and, a, you know, a lot of the time that can be quite painstaking um, because you write something and then somebody will go, oh, I don't like that. You know, guitar, vocal, whatever. Um, you know, I would spend a lot of my time sort of just listening to the boys playing through riffs. And then I would come into the rehearsal room and everybody would stop and go, what? and I'd go, maybe you should do, you know, you're doing too many of these, are you doing too many of that? But then on the, you know, the flip side of that, Johnny would, you know, adjust my vocal melodies or he would adjust some of the lyrics or he would, you know, definitely in production. I think Johnny had a lot to do with it as well because he really took over the production side of things as well. And now, you know, I don't know if you know, but Johnny now like has his own studio in Manchester um and that's what he does but i think that was definitely the birth of him sort of coming into his own and he had a real sort of vision of how he wanted the songs to sound and a lot of us you know we just trusted him and bought into that vision and i think um he did a great job i mean things like executioner's day was recorded in johnny's bedroom do you know what i mean and stuff like that you know so he you know he really took control of that and i think that you know his sort of his vision sort of sids you know slightly darker guitar playing i think you know chris and rob sort of brought in a, you know the, the rhythm section really sort of suddenly felt like they had a voice as well and then over the top of that i was allowed to sort of speak about whatever i wanted to speak about um although johnny did say to me once didn't you ever write any fucking happy songs <laughs> <laughs> and i was like well i'm trying to but um yeah so i think um it was uh yeah i think i think just just us really sort of starting off again as a, as a five individuals wanting to do something, just change the sound slightly, but it was, um, it was definitely not down to one. It was, it was all five of us sort of really buying into what we were, we were trying to do, I think, and try and make it a success. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I fucking love that EP, man. I think that EP is <laughs> great. Uh, I had that. Well, I, I've never, I don't think I saw you when you, when you front in Heaven's Basement, sadly, Richie, but my mum and dad went and uh, brought me back an EP signed by you and the boys. Um, that, that first EP. Mm. And I was obsessed with, like you're saying with Sid, I, I was becoming kind of my transition into being a guitarist at that point. And the, some of the guitaring on that record is, is class. You know, I think, as you say, you, you felt like it was, you really did spend time, you know, with them. Oh, I mean, to take nothing away from Creepy, I love Creepy. I love Creepy, not loved, he's still with us. Um, but I love Creepy. But Sid's, this, for me, Sid was like a, a phenomenon. I can never say that word. You know, he, I think he was 18 when we were in Hem's basement. And I'd sit there and, and watch him do the solo for like Executioner's Day or something like that. And he would just beat the shit out of his guitar as he was playing it. But it just, some of the sounds that he just, got out of it like well, even even now as I'm talking about it would give like raise the you know the hairs on the back of your neck like he was 
like even to this day when i when i play that solo to someone and go he's 18 people go what do you know what i mean it's like christ i couldn't even talk properly when i was 18 let alone play guitar like that do you know what i mean so it was um yeah I, he he was definitely a a good addition to to the lineup i would definitely say that what would you what would you say is like your big highlight from all of this like the heaven's basement or road star is there like a, a moment that stands above the rest i mean it always sounds like you're just kind of showing off but when we got to support bon jovi mm. that was i, mean, I, was, I was i was another level be a moment, surely. yeah i mean that that was um just just the whole day of it you know not not necessarily just being on the stage but sort of going into the, the stadium and being sh- shown where your dressing room is and you you know you got like like you see in like old Guns N' Roses or Metallica sort of documentaries where they're, they're in a you know a, a, like a like a gym changing uh, dressing room and that's your dressing room with your name on it and you know when you get to walk through those corridors and up into the thing but like you know, even just going to catering and looking out the window of catering and you're looking on to sort of Manchester City football ground field and it's empty at that point and they they show you where the stage is and they take you on the stage and you stand on this stage and you're just looking out and it feels, you know, like, it feels like it's going like this, so you can't see me on camera, but it feels like it's going like that over the top of you and then once they're filled up with people, I mean, we were just so excited. I, I know people are different, some people would sort of, shy away from that but for us we were like we wanted more people we were gutted that there were more people in there you know we, we were like no that ain't enough that ain't enough so i mean that whole day was just you know something that was something special but um i don't know i mean like you know going to new york with the boys as well and getting to spend time in new york being in a rock band you know and and walking around like you're, you're a rock star that was pretty cool you know like some of the people that we've got to play with you know I, I've, I've you know I've always maintained that I've been so lucky like genuinely lucky to have met those guys and to have been given the opportunity that that they gave me you know um and yeah I've, I've really enjoyed it no that that's killer man I, lo- I love the the are you looking back with such positivity as well, you know, and it just being encapsulated by that. I think that's that's really cool. You can't look at it any other way because it, you know any any sort of low, you know, is 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 you know. Sorry, it sounds a bit you know whatever cliche or something, but I, somebody says you know it takes a lot of wrong answers to find the right one, you know. And and we used to say in the band even when we were writing, you know, every no leads to a yes. So you know, eventually you you find the right way by going the wrong way. So any sort of low that we experienced in our careers i think all of us now especially because you know we've had a bit of time to reflect on it and stuff like that we you know we we met up i think um all of us about uh i can't even remember what it was now a year ago maybe i was just after new year's eve some point either last year or the year before and we all met up the five of us um and we just laughed the entire time you know of like stories and and things that you'd forgotten about you know and and just just memories of you know times of all of you being drunk together in some place in germany and you know lost in the snow and all all this kind of stuff so it's really hard not to look back on it with positivity you know it's um i think you i think all of us would struggle to look to look back on it negatively i think no that's cool man i mean obviously kind of going from that positives and kind of look reflecting at sort of the end of your time with the band i think both me and ryan when we was chatting and preparing for the interview remember it kind of coming out in in different things that it was it was from your side of things it was kind of down to the intense touring schedule that you mm. 
take a step away from the band. I think that was yeah. sort of February in, in 2010. Um, mm. I mean, I, to, to chatting about it um, from my own experience with, with me and the boys, it's, it's something that I've, you've kind of reached that point. I've always desperately wanted to get to that, but I've always felt like, it, are we ready for that as a band? Do you know what I mean? In terms of mm. that intensity, if we ever got to that point. And it was, was it, are you able to, can you, if you could reflect on that time and just give it, you know, what, where the end of my time in the band? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was literally just what you said. It was, um, I mean, things, things do get sort of confused when you're out on the road a lot. Um, you lose sight of um, what you're doing, I think, a lot of the time. Um, and we were like so busy and we were so, doing well you know we would literally jump I think we we finished like a Papa Roach tour of like two or three weeks we had a day off and then we did we started Buck Cherry and then we did Buck Cherry for three weeks and then um I think we had a day off and then we did Sonosphere and then I think we had a week off and then we were going back into rehearsals and and it's you know without sounding like too much of a you know a lead singer it's hard as a singer as well because it does take a toll on your voice um and it's, you know, you, you, you're spending a lot of your time when you're touring that intensely, um, just trying to look after your voice, basically, um, because you, you still, you know, whether you like it or not, you've got to get up on stage the next day and, and, and do it. Um, and, you know, it, you go through points where, you know, they, sometimes I didn't even have half my range, you know, um, but you still got to do three or four nights in a row and stuff like that. And, it kind of gets you down a little bit. That's that's the truth of it. You know, after a while, when you when you're not performing to the level that you want to perform, and you're not sort of hitting the notes you want to hit and impressing people the way you want to impress them, when you're having to go on stage and sort of sing like a bloody baritone for the entire gig just to to get through it, you don't really enjoy it. So it starts to sort of weigh you down after a while. And I got to a point where it was just starting to weigh me down. And and every time I kind of stepped away from it, I found that my want to go back to it was lessening and lessening mm. um and it was starting to be it was starting to become a bit of a chore for me and i was i was we would go home for a week and by the end of that week i was thinking oh god i gotta go back and, and that's not any kind of place that you want to be um and it was just it was just the intensity of it and and then i saw the schedule for the following year and it was just as intense and just for a moment in time i thought i, I can't do this this I'm, i've kind of done all the things that i want to do it's just going to be more the same for the rest of my life and all this kind of stuff um and i just made the decision that i just wanted to step away from it i didn't want to do it um i didn't want to carry on um and it was a shock for everyone it was a shock for me you know when i finally kind of came to that conclusion but i definitely needed to step away from it i didn't feel like i had anything else to sort of offer i didn't have anything else to say um and i just felt like I was becoming a bit of a parody of myself or something. Um, so I just sort of decided it was it was time to do something else. Um, and yeah, that was it really. It was very sad. Um, that's what happens. You know, people come to the end of their tether sometimes. So no, yeah. I respect that. I mean, me and Rye talk a lot about um, the dangers of, it's weird that you articulated it like that, becoming a parody of yourself. You know, I mm -hmm. think it's, we often have this conversation yeah. with other bands. You know, I think it's, so, it's yeah. you, as much as I think it's very easy to get to get stuck in, like you say, because it's that constant touring schedule. You get stuck in the fact that you're just on autopilot a little bit. And the whole point of it all is it's is it's meant to be a rebellion and it's meant to be something that mm. you 
way and it's it's meant to be the opposite of of, of working in an office or all that shit mm-hmm. so when it's a little bit and you're on autopilot i kind of respect the fact that you made that decision that that's not what you want to take from it you know and you don't yeah, want to yeah. become yeah. a so no it sounds it sounds like it was no, I like the way you articulated it. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't easy, um, and there are still times now where I think was that the right decision or not the right decision? You know, where would we be today and all this kind of stuff if if I'd stuck at it? I mean, they went on and did great. I just mean, where would I be today? Then, <laughs> you know, different different way of phrasing it. But um, I think at the time it was the right decision for me. You know, and it's easy to look back and go, oh, maybe I would make a different decision. But at that time, that was the decision that I wanted to make, and that was the decision I made. Um, and yeah, that's that's just the way it was in the end. But um, you know, I've always my stepfather used to say that it should never feel like work. You know, so as soon as it started to feel like work, I real I thought I just felt something was wrong. So yeah, that's kind of what influenced the decision really. No, Finally, cool, yeah. um, before we finish, um, yeah. have you got any plans for the future, kind of in a post-COVID world? Is that- yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> regain my sanity slightly, I think. Um, yes, I have a new project that I'm working on at the moment, well, trying to work on, but um, COVID is getting in the way. Um, mm. But I have a new band. Um, mm. We're in the writing process at the moment. We're called Midnight Parade. Um, and we are um, we're, we're trying to write and we're trying to rehearse um, but every time we get into any sort of flow uh, Corona rears its head and kind of goes right everyone go back into your caves mm-hmm. um, but we are getting there um, and I think definitely probably uh, beginning of next year I think we're going to try and sort of record something uh, get it out and then hopefully if this vaccine or whatever the hell is going on takes off and people are allowed out again we can sort of unveil it properly and um yeah but there's definitely something in the works at the moment so anybody who's interested watch this something's happening now, when, and when it rises to the surface we'd love to link up with you and be a part of that that definitely. room and definitely you know mm. we, we look forward to it. yeah that'll be great yeah yeah definitely Brilliant. Right. I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, fa- good. Thanks ever so much for, for coming on, man. No worries. It's been a pleasure. It was a, it was a, like I say, it was a pleasure for us dipping back into the uh, that part of our, I don't want to say childhood. I don't want to say childhood. I don't, <laughs> you not can say, say childhood. Yeah, I'm going to go and listen to Steam now. So. <laughs> that's it. It was, it, was very, it was very nostalgic for us. Wasn't yeah. it? it was a big part of my musical education. So thank you for being a part of that without being too cool. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> dive back into to looking at that with you mm. so appreciate Brilliant. it no i've enjoyed it thank you guys nice one richie cheers so that was uh richie heavens it was good wasn't it yeah i really enjoyed that man mm. and the reason why was i felt like it was it was really nostalgic um but it was really positive yes. you know what i mean i felt like richie came at it from such a cool angle um mm. and and just had nothing but good memories from that time you know and didn't didn't have any regret you know, yeah. and and just and just spoke about it with such joy, and it was nice to take him back to that time. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised that that um, more people haven't contacted Richie or the guys, you know, to yeah. look back on it. So I'm really pleased that we we just took that time, you know, because when I messaged Richie, I, I didn't know if he would reply. I didn't know what he was doing now, no. you know, and I loved his instant enthusiasm to want to reflect on that, and and hopefully, it's, you know, our main purpose of doing this was to try and bring the music back to life a bit. Of, and hope make people listen to them albums and hopefully by the sounds of it it's going to make Richie listen listen back to them yeah, albums even, again yeah. even Richie himself is going to go back and listen to it which is exactly what we were looking to yeah, do yeah but good vibes all around mm. 
It's been good. Um, you know, he's uh, he was a big part of my childhood. Me too, yeah. And um, yeah, you know, you can't knock it. No, not at all. So just a reminder, um, so the bands that we've we've looked at in terms of this lost underrated thing was Ryan's were the Parlor Mob, Stone Rider, Mr. Andrew Stockdale more on the solo career side, and mine were the Welsh rock band Budgie, The Answer, The Four Horsemen, and then we just reflected with Mr. Richie Evans of Roadstar Heaven's Basement fame. So take a bit of time out of your day, give these bands a... Uh, a bit of time, you know, and a listen, and uh, let's get the good vibes going for them again. Mm. Oh, totally agree. Yeah, and uh, tune in next week to Full Time Vibe, where we have a new special guest. Cool. Cool. See you next week. Bye.